There we go. Have you ever received like really bad news? Like news that you're like, man, I don't, I, I hope I only receive that news a couple of times in life. Maybe you've had to deliver bad news. Maybe some of you here have had to like go to someone and say whatever that was. There have been a few moments where I had to deliver really and you never forget it. Most of the time, people have kind of an immediate response. Maybe they cry out. Maybe they're really expressive in that way. Some would be silent. Yet, in that moment, they're not thinking about every aspect of what's going on. It's just the uh, initial shock. It just hits them. And they hopefully can stand. Sometimes you will see someone say, can you be seated? I I would rather not, don't say any of that. You got bad news to tell me, just tell me. Just tell me, just go ahead. Like, don't don't preface it. One, One of my friends who went with me one time to explain something very tragic to these people said, you've just got to say it. And so it was just, we walked up there, it was said, and then what followed, followed. But it's just important, I think, to understand that. And David's heard bad news. If you've been studying with us, you know of that. And we'll kind of talk about that in a moment. But I just think it's important for you to see that. But then after the initial shock, there's further grief. Oftentimes people will show up when it's still kind of the initial shock and then it's the month later and two months later and three months later that you're trying to deal with that grief. Do you think our culture likes grief? I mean, seriously, maybe you've even said something like this, like face that, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to feel the pain of that. I I want to get on living and not deal with the issues of dying. Do you think if you run past grief that it will never catch back up to you? Like if you're hustling real fast, be like, I'll blow by it. And it's not going to catch me. Maybe you've, I don't know if you've ever done that, but you've driven by something and think, if I don't look over there, I might see it in my peripheral vision, but I'm not going to see it. But it's still coming. Grief is real. And how to deal with grief is extremely important for us to consider my 
family has a lot, of course, young boys in it right now, and it could be like, you could be real happy and really sad like that. I'm talking like somebody grabs someone's car that they played with 30 minutes ago, and like, boom, like everybody's, and you're thinking, what's happened? That, that, that's not, that's something I kind of push away from, like, we're not crying over everything, but there is a time. There is a time to feel sorrow. There is a time for weeping. And if you were to say, not me, be like, well, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He was the toughest guy, and he wept. Like, there's a place for that. Now, what happens, again, after the initial shock is that, I mean, people sometimes talk about different stages of grief. And, and whether or not that's the best way to say that, whether everybody faces that, I think it's always, you can say, here's some principles that you can learn. Don't know exactly if you'll deal with it in the same way. But at the end of the day, grief is real. Grief doesn't go away. Grief lasts. A sad event but a continuing process. Grief not only erupts, like when David tore his shirt, remember when he heard the news, and and they wept, but it abides. And because it abides, there must be some mechanism, some procedures by which God's people can express that grief. That is what David does in this passage. In his lament over Israel, Saul and Jonathan, he provides a vehicle by which Israel can continue her mourning. So that, that's kind of, today what we're talking about is like, grief is real. The king shows us that. In his initial response, he tears his clothes. They take time to grieve. But then it's followed by setting up a pattern for grieving. And and again, like I said, our culture, we want to run from it. We want to act like we want to get over it. Quick, get over it, get over it. No pain, no struggle, no mourning, no long periods of despair. But that's not a reality. And so the king in his wisdom speaks to the people about how to walk through grief. He doesn't deny it. He doesn't throw a party and say, let's forget about it. He says, it's real. we got to walk through it. There are those valleys of the shadow of death, and we have to move through that. It's not going away. Grief is real. Grief remains. Grief is a process. And we need to understand that if we don't have a process for walking through those things, we're left to try to figure it out in life. But the wonderful thing is that the Bible speaks to issues in life. Real issues. Difficult issues. And it gives you, it's not just a how-to, but it gives you some ways to think in terms of grieving. 
Can you be taught to sing? You, you can say, yeah, I mean, people are taught to sing. They not, may not be that great, but you can teach them to sing. Can you be taught to praise? Yeah. Then can you be taught to grieve? Should you be? Should you be? We could say, I can be taught to praise, I can be taught to pray, I can be taught to study my Bible, I can be taught, I can be taught to grieve. And David makes that clear. So remember, 1 Samuel, very end, Saul and Jonathan die. The narrator tells us all about that. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 16, David hears the news. In verse 17, David leaves the initial reaction, sits down. Grieving is a process. And I'm going to give you, for not, I don't know if I have a better word, a liturgy for grieving at some level, some, a process. Or maybe you could just say, here's a sample of how to do so. We will see the king leading the people, not just in battle, but in sorrow. He teaches them. The king is shepherding his people through life. So this is a lament, and a lament is something we'll look at, but I just it's a lament he's going to walk you through. I want you to look at verses 17 and 18, and just see the structure of a lament. Like, just think in terms of, it's structured grief. That might be a way to say that. You structure it. And, and you know, I, I, I remember early on in my life, there were people like, I don't like written prayers. I don't like written prayers. They seem to... Formal. It's like, well, <laughs> but somehow you got to give people an example of how to pray. And, and if you do that, like Jesus did that, Jesus gave you an ex- the, the disciples said, teach us to pray. And he says, pray then in this way. It's a structured thing so that you could move through that process and say, okay, I can see these principles I'm moving through. David is thinking about the people of Judah and their struggle to maybe grieve and so he's going to teach them about that he's going to write a lament now what is a lament a lament is a formal expression of grief or distress one that can be written read learned practiced and repeated it's different than just like crying out it's, it's a way of taking like 
you, your, your emotions, words that come in contact with those emotions that can bring clarity to what's going on. Have you ever written something and then you went back later and you wrote it again based off the, so you have first draft, second draft, third draft, fourth draft. I remember one of my uh, friends in high school, uh, uh, their dad said something like, uh, he, he was a, a judge and he uh, would write, I think he was writing something for Texas Monthly or whatever, and he said it's not until the eighth draft that you really start writing. You know? A lot of people like to, in this age, if I think it, I'm going to write it. And then I expect people to think it's good. You know? You're like, no, that's not good. What are you talking about? Like, just because you're like, you, well, I was about to say something, but I'm not going to. It makes some of y'all sick. But just because verbally you're just like letting it go doesn't mean it's like well thought out. This is thinking after, after sitting down and considering the pain and the sorrow that you're facing, putting it into words in, in a way that people can like take it, uh, take it to heart and think it through and work through. And I, I will say one other thing about that. That's what songs do. I mean, how, how many times have you thought about the lyrics of a song and thought, how could they pack into that song so many things? I can't believe that they just told me like 30 years of their life history in three minutes. It's crazy. But it's putting all those pieces together and forming it in such a way where I can think through. And I think that's helped. I think it's not something that's very popular. And I don't think it's very like, I don't think our culture is thinking about it a lot of times, but I think it's very, very helpful. This was, <laughs> I met this man not too long ago, and he was like kind of a big, strong uh, kind of guy, kind of rough and tough, kind of. And um, for whatever reason, he wanted to talk to me that day. Just, and I mean, I didn't know him. And so he's talking to me. And, uh, and he was like, you know what? I used to have a problem with anger. And I was like, really? That's, I could see that, you know? Like, I'd not hate to be on the wrong side of your anger. You know, no, I didn't say that. But I was thinking that a little bit, like, God, I could see you being a little bit, like, ready to fly off the handle. And he said, man, I just started journaling. I was like, what? <laughs> you don't journal, bro. Like, you, like, I don't, that's not you, man. I just don't think you're sitting down there journaling and like little, like, you know, I don't know, polka dot little journal. You open it up. It's got a flower on top. Like, don't tell people that. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, I, I do journal a little bit so y'all don't start, like, beating me down. I was just playing. But I just think that what he was saying was he started to write down his thoughts and form them on paper and structure them in a way where he could, like, process his anger. And it helped him like tremendously. And I think that's kind of what you're seeing here. One other thing, just a kind of an observation when you're thinking about uh, lamentation and those kind of things is like, um, there are psalms of lament. And um, you, you could potentially even maybe categorize this in some way. But, but I think there's something that, um, like that, I mean, 
But I think it's important for us to just say, you know what, like, have you ever been to a church service where, again, everybody's smiling? I remember this guy I used to see, and he would, like, look at his people, and he would, like, push their, like, lips up, but, you know. I think that's fine for some songs. For some songs. I think that's fine for some services. But there are days where he needed to be pulling down. Y'all stop smiling. I don't think that ever happened, but like, stop smiling. Why? Because rejoicing and sorrow both are true things that we face in this life. And they need to be addressed and we need to think about it. So let's, I think it's important sometimes to go back when you're facing sorrowful times, when you're watching people, when you're trying to like make sense of difficulty, like we have to learn to do that because in doing that, it helps us move forward towards understanding God, understanding the situation we're in, and looking forward to the future. So a lament has structure to it. Uh, second thing you kind of see in, in the end of verse 18 and, and through 21, a lament does not cover shame. And I, I just, I say that to say, in this section, you'll see, um, although he doesn't want it like told to the wicked Philistines, he knows they're going to hear about it. Those two places, Gath and Ashkelon, those are like their big cities. And, and so he knows that like in the, uh, you could say, restaurants or um, uh, bars or wherever those people like gathered together, they're going to be talking about the situation. And, and so he's like, I don't want them to hear about it, but, but I want you to be honest about what just took place. I, I, I want it to be clear that you're understanding the dark situation that we're in. So it's in one sense, he's like, I, I don't even want to put my mind thinking about what the enemy is thinking about the situation, about the loss of Saul and Jonathan. But we need to see and understand in Israel, the, the dark place Saul, where he was from, where battles were fought, uh, where all of this, you know, these battles take place, that he, he says that, like, it shouldn't even, like, come forth anything, you know, nothing should grow up from there. It should be like a, a cursed, desolate place. It's a place where you look at it and say, there's a lot of shame associated with this. It's almost as if he can, he can think about the, the way in which the enemy's responding and then the, the way he's kind of like considering the place and the way that Israel should respond. And you just we need to recognize the shame and the sorrow of this moment. Again, not always is that the case in some horrible moment, but in this moment, they need to consider it. Now, the other thing is, is the, the, the book that was mentioned in verse 17, I believe, in verse 18, this book of Jashar. Some people see that as like a, some kind of hymn book that would be like composing like battles uh, of the people. Maybe even something that the army would have known about or read or, or would sing together. It, it's kind of this picture here where he, he's writing about how horrific this situation is. So he's not just talking about like, oh man, this, this is horrible. But he's also saying like, look how horrible it is from a, the standpoint of the darkness here. 
and the shame that came with it. To see Israel in this place. To see God's judgment fall upon them because of what had been done by Saul. But the other thing is this. like I think it kind of, if it was to be put in this book, and it was to be read not just by the people of, of Israel collectively, but also by the army, it, it might be a way of saying, remember the Alamo. You know, like, if you're, I don't know if you're from Texas or Arkansas here, but I do probably. But actually, like, when you're thinking about it, when you're, the Alamo, you know, was... Uh, taken over and everybody lost their life and then the army that came back together they were like chanting remember the Alamo there's an element in this story in this thinking where you're kind of taking them back and helping them see the shame and the darkness and the heartbreak that's going on here so that almost would stir their hearts to step up and to do something and to overcome the darkness and, and to walk in a way that would Uh, be honoring to God and would set Israel free and that kind of thing. But I just think, um, I do think for us, when we're thinking about, have you ever seen somebody fall into a sin and it broke your heart? You almost felt the shame of that. You almost felt like you felt the blow. You weren't just that person that's over there talking behind their backs, but you are grieving with them over the situation. Have you ever watched someone um, very close to you grieve over the pain of whatever loss that they are experiencing? Is it, did it drive you to the throne of grace and to crying out to the Lord for strength and for power to stand in, in a very special way? So sometimes I think when you're thinking about these things, a lament, you're not just trying to not deal with what happened or, or or you're not even you want to really understand it and think about it and consider it even the very dark parts of it that's what he does here the third a lament should demonstrate gratitude for the good look at verse 22 and 23 what's he saying they were great warriors you know, if we were to be honest about anybody in this room, and we were just talking about things, and we were to see every aspect of them, there would be areas where you might say, eh, that wasn't such a good spot, like, you know, of their life. Or, or you know, there were some things about them that you're like, man, they, they really should have grown in this area or that. But the reality is here, he's saying, look, as a warrior, as a defender of the people of God, I mean, the these people, they did that. They were victorious in battle. They did not shy away from going into battle for the people of God. There was protection for the people of God. Verse 23, it says they were beloved and lovely. There was something beautiful about that. The people did care for them and they were lovely there was something that you could say about them like both defending uh, the people of God fighting for them and there was something about them that you could truly treasure and people did treasure them it says in, in life and death they were not divided they were swifter than eagles they were stronger than lions it's as if he's saying it's not to say that Jonathan didn't have struggles with his father that is clear I mean he stood beside David 
even when his father was being foolish and, and, and all of those things. But at the same time, they ran together. In this great battle even that they faced or whatever, they're standing beside one another in this dark uh, moment even. But, but over and over, they are victorious in battle. And so he, he's, there's a lot of gratitude shown for the good things. There's a praiseworthy thing. So if you're thinking about lament, you think about like once... Once you've gotten past the initial shock, a settled thinking through of the grief that you face. The first part of his is dealing with some of the shame and some of the darkness. The second part as we're looking at it is he's going to um, demonstrate kind of gratitude for good. And then the third thing he does is just think about what was the love that he lost kind of. For some of you, you might think of... um, uh, the deep friendship between David and Jonathan, I mean, it, it, it is amazing. Jonathan laid himself aside so that David could be what God had called him to be. It, it was a really powerful thing. But, but there, was, um, there was also a lot of love for Saul. And we saw the dark sides of Saul. But we do know that like, he brought blessing to the, to the people. That's what it says like, like, let the daughters of Israel, like, mourn because he brought a time of prosperity for Israel. He blessed them in many ways. So we see that. We see both kind of what David faces. We also see what the daughters of Israel would face as they mourn, like, the loss of this one who both loved them and they loved him. And so that's kind of on display here. I, I do think, again, you just... To go back and think about the kind of love that Jonathan and David had for each other, it was amazing. First Samuel, there shall not find Dean, says this, uh, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Uh, Saul, my father, also knows this. And so D- Jonathan makes it clear that David takes, he, he like lays his life down in some ways. Uh, for the service of David. So one principle I read about this week was that if you um, have great love for someone, you should, you should see uh, grief that follows that. To the extent of your love, to that same extent, grief should follow. And so if you're thinking of which is part of life, which is part of helpful to do so, it's helpful to think about a process. And in doing so, there are things where you'll say, that you, you're, there's a, there may be some kind of shame involved, some kind of brokenness, some kind of situation where you're just really sorrowful over how sad it actually is and the, the wasted things and the hurtful things. You're also thinking about the good things. And thirdly, you're saying like, listen, when I consider the love that I have for this person, like it literally overwhelms me with grief. So those are some areas where you could pick those up and learn from them. Now, if you are kind of thinking through this canonically, thinking across the Bible, let me give you a couple more things and we'll be done. One is this. I just want to reiterate the king, that King Jesus wept. He did. That, that's just something that you want to remind yourself of. If you get around some people where they're trying to be real tough and act like weeping is not uh, manly or godly, Jesus wept. The second thing is like he mourned over Jerusalem. John chapter, I mean Luke chapter 19, 
um, we, we see him mourning over Jerusalem, over their rebellion, over what it caused for them. So Luke 19, 41 through 44, we see him mourning over them and speaking in such a way where you could say, well, that would be a way to mourn over the loss of, of something or someone. Third thing, Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, we have a great high priest. It, it gives us confidence that we can draw near to him. He's aware of the struggle, of the pain, of the sorrow that comes. The scripture actually says that he was a man of great sorrow, right? Acquainted with grief. That's, Jesus was acquainted with that. He walked among people in those kinds of situations. He was not separated from that, but entered into those things. Third thing that I mean, I think just would be helpful is sorrow cannot separate you from the love of God in Christ. That, that's something to know. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come. None of those things can separate you. doesn't mean that sorrow will not be faced. It just means that it does not separate you from Christ's love. And fourth, just hopefully it'll, it, it, this helps me a lot. Like, and it's, you might say, ah, would I pick that verse? I, I don't know. You might not. But one day lament will be swallowed up by joy. That's one of the things you say, I'm going to, you're, you're, you're not going to like escape sorrow. You're going to have the initial shock sorrow. You're going to have long-term sorrow and grief. You're going to have to learn how to deal with it and how to say, like, I'm not just sweeping it under the rug. I'm dealing with the real thing. And, and I'm going to have to get to that point where I can say, I'm going to try to, like, frame this out where I can move myself through this grief. But it's real. I'm going to face it. It's part of life. But one day, lamentation will be swallowed up by joy. Revelation 6, 9 through 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete. Well, what's he saying though? It will be made right. Lament, yes. But one day, one day, all of that will cease. And our tears of sadness will become tears of joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can know that there are extended periods, sometimes longer than we want, of grieving. We ask how long. 
And you say to us, wait a little while. And one day, there will be no more crying, no more sorrow or pain. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen.